The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 197 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, we talk about the all-important relationship between surveying and civil engineering, and we also cover some of the new technology related to surveying that all civil engineers should be aware of. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and as I said in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, we're talking surveying and we're talking with Joey Wilson, President and CEO at Wilson & Associates PC. Joey is a professional engineer and registered land surveyor with over 26 years of experience as a principal in charge of engineering, surveying, and reality capture for Wilson and Associates. So we're going to talk about not just the fundamentals of surveying, but some of the new technology out there. We're going to get into drones and where that's come. And Drones have been around for a while now, but their capabilities are so enhanced these days. We talk about LIDAR. Another thing that we should be aware of as engineers, and also we get into visual design construction revolving around complex 3D models and what they can allow you to do before you even start your project. So I'm excited to share the information in the episode today. Before we jump in here, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FE and PE exams. PPI's reputation and history sets them apart. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Their courses and review materials are based on decades of experience. They schedule their courses over two to three months to ensure that you can properly retain information and allow enough time for homework. They ensure students don't have to cram for their exam. Their courses come with everything you need. They offer robust programs with access to lectures, forums, learning hub, books, slides, and more. Their programs place a big emphasis on homework. They believe that practicing as much as possible is crucial to exam success. PPI's instructors are very highly rated on student surveys. They are extremely attentive and knowledgeable. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for the FE and PE exam prep. Again, that's ppi2pass.com. I also want to mention if you're interested in people leadership, project management, or seller doer business development training, we have programs that will actually help you and your staff transfer these skills back to the job. You can check them out at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, click on the upcoming training button in the top of the website, or just give us a buzz, 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. You want project management training that actually works and transfers back to the job? And not only can we help you design it, but we can help you package it in a way that it can help you recruit people, develop people, and retain people. So please check it out, engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. All right, let's dive into our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week with Joey Wilson. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the Civil Engineering Podcast for today, Joey Wilson. Joey is the President and CEO at Wilson & Associates PC. Joey, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks for having me on. For sure. So, Joey, in your own words, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your background, um, your areas of expertise? Grew up in an engineering family. Uh, uncles were engineers. Father's an engineer. 
went the the uh, STEM route in uh, high school and uh, got a civil engineering degree in college and uh, joined the, the family business shortly thereafter. Our main focus is uh, surveying all things geomatics. We, in the past, had uh, tried to do a little bit of engineering work, but now we're focusing mainly on geomatics and surveying and just fit uh, my natural proclivities for math and science and uh, gave me a good healthy dose of being outdoors as well. And so, Joey, you are the president and CEO at the largest construction surveying company in Tennessee, which I believe was originally started by your father. Can you share with us kind of how you got involved in the company and how you know you ended up where you are today with the company? My father started the company in 1972 as Joe Charles Wilson Statewide Surveying, and uh, that kind of morphed into different versions of that company over time. And when I started in '89. I brought the technology component to it. Bain computers were kind of new back then, and they were revolutionizing the way we were doing our work. And so I worked um, afternoons and nights and weekends in high school and all through college and then joined the firm full-time in 96 and uh, was promoted to the presidency in 99. I just had the uh, ability to find a nice, new, bright, shiny object and uh, kind of latch onto it, and that's kind of morphed us into not only construction surveying, but kind of all things geomatics now. We were kind of the first to bring GPS to the market, first to bring some digital levels, first to bring UAS products, and now the first to bring aerial LIDAR uh, to our services sector. So we've changed dramatically over the last several years. My father retired. We bought him out in uh, 2011, and we've been on a a fast-paced upward trajectory uh, since then. And you are a professional engineer. You're also a registered land surveyor. And so for our listeners out there, whether they're civil engineers that have practiced for a long time, or maybe they're students considering a career in civil engineering, can you talk a little bit about that relationship between civil engineering and surveying? Because I think it's an important one. I started myself in the field as a surveyor when I started my career. Talk a little bit about how that important that is to the civil engineering world. I think every engineer started out in the field of surveying. Most of them have gotten smart enough to get out and go onto the engineering path. For the few that have stayed, But no, it's the foundation of everything we do in civil engineering. Without good data, without good reality captures, we call it now, the designs may not necessarily work and they may be problematic. And so I do a lot of design. I've done a lot of hydraulics and drainage and things uh, in my career. And it's all based on good survey. We've been blessed over the last seven, eight years to really get into LIDAR and be able to map wide, just massive areas with uh, LIDAR data. And that gets us really good foundational information. We're getting better information in the woods, tops of stream banks, channels, and things like that to really have a more confident understanding of the environment where we're doing grading and drainage, cut and fill balance quantities, and uh, hydraulics, and, and the pond design, and storm sewer design, and things like that. Within that also, we do a lot of scan the BIM and, and dimensional analysis work. So when we're doing um, what's called, I guess, in the last 10 years, accelerated bridge construction, or ABC is short, where they build a bridge off-site and then drive it into place over a series of a couple of weekends, having exact measurements of the old structure and kind of all of the environment around us allows that project to be extremely successful without some of the intricate details of surveying. If we're off an inch or two, that could be a, a failure of the project over the course of the weekend. We only usually have 60 hours to build something like that. And so having good survey data helps the engineers design it precisely with the location it's supposed to go. And the contractors build it exactly as it's supposed to be. So anybody that gets into civil engineering, it's a good idea to have a fundamental understanding of survey, how survey data is captured, and how to import it and use it in your designs. 
as Joey said, I mean, the data really means everything and having the right data or the right amounts of data can certainly expedite the design process and may help you to stay within your budget as opposed to going over budget if it takes you longer with less data. Now, one of the things that I'll share just from my own career, I did start in high school actually as a doing surveying in summers with a friend of mine. His father had a small civil engineering firm. And to Joey's point, I mean, they do provide you with that foundational data that you use for your designs often. But I think what's great about actually being out in the field and experiencing surveying maybe being involved in data collection, it makes it a lot easier for you to have those conversations with the surveyors around what information you need, you understand how they're collecting the data, what's practical for them to obtain, and maybe what's harder for them to obtain. Maybe you have better knowledge around how long something is going to take when you ask the survey team to go and do it. So I would highly recommend and kind of second Joey here that any civil engineering professional should get out in the field. So even if you are kind of beyond that in your career and you feel like you're already into design work, get out in the field with your survey team for a day, go to sites with them, see what they do, observe it. Having that knowledge and understanding can really help you to converse with them more effectively going forward and maybe get data quicker, maybe make sure that you're pointing them in the right direction, maybe understanding the challenges that they have to deal with in the field. So I would highly recommend that. And if you're a senior manager at this point, Get your younger engineers in the field, get them on sites, get them observing, surveying, because it really, really is a very, very important thing. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't unfortunately get exposure to. And I think that's important. And I guess, Joey, for you, you have both of those licenses. And so that must be very beneficial for you in terms of the business and growing the business. I would echo what you're saying too, not only in surveying, but if you were doing design of any sort, if it's uh, if it's civil site work or if it's um, structures, it definitely helps to get out and visit with the contractors and visit with the bridge builders and those people too that are trying to build your product and understand that sometimes we can't design or we design things that can't be built or it takes specialty equipment or things like that. And so it's kind of good to get that feedback from your design, from people that are trying to build your design. So whether it's the surveying or the construction side. Definitely getting out in the field at an early age to understand the product and how the product's built will help you design a better product in the end. Yeah, for sure. And I'll give you a silly story around this one for those of you listening. From my own experience, after I had that survey experience, I was sitting at my desk and I was looking at a CAD drawing for some drainage that had to be installed on a site. And I noticed that there was a catch basin and it had a probably three or four pipes being drawn into that catch basin, all kinds of crazy angles. Because of my experience in the field, I knew that that drawing was not a practical thing and it wasn't going to be able to be installed like that at all. So we had to make some changes. We had to do an extra detail. And if I hadn't had that experience, I probably would have just dragged CAD lines onto the catch basin as well. It really does help you to understand what's possible in the field and what's not. And that's critical to you being able to design practical designs that can be built, as Joey said, that can actually be constructed the way you're designing them. And I'm glad you mentioned that. There's a new buzzword called VDC, Visual Design Construction, and it's kind of been for the horizontal world or for the civil world. And you'll see a lot more of it in large developments. We're doing some work on Facebook here in Nashville in the NLF Soccer Stadium, in which um, we'll take the design and we'll create all the BIM models, all the gravity sewers, storm sewers, pipes, anything that we can design in 3D space and rotate that around and look for conflicts before we start to build. But not only are we doing that, we're looking at, okay, how can these be constructed? If we've got a storm sewer that's 30 feet in the ground and it has a one-to-one safety slope, we need to model that trenching before we put in 
a water line that's next to the road. Something as innocuous as, as putting a water line in three feet off the edge of pavement might be taken out by the time you get the storm sewer in that's 30 feet away, 30 feet deep on a one-to-one safety slope. I think as young engineers, we'll find some of that design will be a little bit easier in the future because looking at it in 2D and trying to figure out if we have a conflict in an at-grade crossing with two gravity flow pipes, it's a lot more difficult without being able to spin that model up in 3D and look at it visually instantaneously going, ah, I've got a conflict there. And so it's an exciting new world out there for civil engineering. Yeah, that is exciting. And I can tell you what's the most exciting to me about that is the fact that you can recognize all of those things pre-construction early on in the planning process before you get too deep in and then you have a conflict and then you know what that could do to a construction project in terms of budget delays, et cetera. So that's a very valuable aspect of that. Joey, getting back to the surveying here for a second, why is surveying so incredibly important when it comes to the inspection of high-risk areas such as bridges or other infrastructure projects or you know potential structures? When we do accelerated bridge construction project, there's a cost to the general public for the use of the interstates and freeways and overpasses. And so most departments want to minimize that cost and they can come up with a dollar value that that's based on. So if we want to close a major interstate, they want to do it with as little impact as possible. So when we're analyzing structures, we can't always access these things. They're over water. They're hard to get to. They're several hundred feet in the air. And so surveying with uh, what's called HDS or high definition surveying or the other acronym LIDAR, light imaging detection and raging, otherwise known as scanning, allows us to model these existing structures to a greater degree of detail than we could ever do it in the past. And that's the foundation for the design, for the engineer to go, okay, we can redesign this multi-span bridge. We can close it in, make it a single span. We can add retaining walls here. We know the greatest detail of the known environment. So we can design these bridges around the smallest of intricacies. We did a, a bridge in um, the Foothills Parkway back in the late 2010s. They had an interface with a bridge around one of the rock faces of the, uh, I guess, an existing rock structure in the park. And the park wouldn't allow any drilling or shooting. We really weren't even allowed to set um, equipment on the ground. So we had to get in there and survey and get this exact location. And the bridge passed within feet of this rock formation. And so without detailed surveying, we wouldn't be able to design and build this segmental precast bridge that looked like a snake wrapping around the hillside of the mountain. And so with good, accurate surveying, the designers were competent enough to build a $50 million bridge in the middle of the Smoky Mountains that didn't interfere with the existing rock structures. To your point about getting to some of these hard-to-access or dangerous areas, the drone industry has really grown tremendously over the last few years. In fact, my 12-year-old son has a drone. He could stick his phone on and fly it over the neighborhood, and I could literally see how, how good or bad everyone's roof is on my block. So talk a little bit about drones and how that has really helped in, in some of these cases. Drones have been revolutionary. Um, we started out probably in early uh, 2013 timeframe uh, getting our feet with it. And started out with the cheapest thing we could find because we didn't know much about it. And sure enough, the most important second waypoint on planning a drone flight is the dot right above you. <laughs> and so we flew them through trees and everything else trying to make sure we understood how to use them. Fast forward to now, the drones we fly are in the $250,000 range. And they can fly large swaths of of, uh, area and map it to details that are far greater than we could ever imagine. A lot of what we do is an Alta survey for the basis of all, let's say, subdivisions or shopping centers that are perceived after that. And so we can map 350 acres in a day and we can get 75% 
of our data virtually from the point cloud that the drone gives us. So anything above ground, fences, utilities, top of creek banks, we can strip the wood off or the woods off and get down to the bottom of the creek banks. There's just so much more robust data we can give back to the civil engineers. We can get top and toe of curb. And so being able to be within that sub-centimeter accuracy from 400 feet in the air over 400 acres in one day is revolutionary. The speed to market that those have provided our industry now is astronomical. And so we just recently did a project for the Department of Transportation in which we condensed 16 months of work down into field time, 16 months of field time work down into two weeks of field time work. Of course, the data extraction takes several months, but to be able to take 16 months of boots on the ground to condense it down to two weeks was unthinkable five or six years ago. And so the quality of the data that we're getting now, the drones are more expensive and they, they keep getting more expensive. You would think as technology gets more and more um, utilized, it gets a little bit cheaper, but we're just, we're getting more precise data out of it. The lasers are getting better. And so the technology is still costing uh, quite a bit, but the investment not to do it is astronomical. It costs more not to get into this technology than it does to buy it and learn it. So Joey, for those not that familiar with, in terms of drones or how they would work on a project, you mentioned that some of those flying capabilities, which are amazing. In terms of on the groundwork, do you have to have some like control points set or do some work out in the field? How does that work tying it together? And that makes or breaks a project, good quality control. And so that's what we're really main all about is making sure we've got good quality control and we have to meet certain national mapping standards to have a 95% confidence interval that what we're reporting uh, is accurate for 95% of the property. That requires static or rapid static ground control points and then lots of targets. And the targets will be based on the size. Minimum would be five on a project. Uh, it could be up to you know 55 to 100 targets, depending on how big the project is. And that gives us good redundancy to, to ensure our clients that 95% of the data that we're giving them, whether it's a one-foot or two-foot contour interval, is within that range. Depending on the accuracy that the developer wants, if it's a real flat area, we can tighten that down to six inches if necessary. And that gives them more robust data and lets them catch more nuances in the field that normally wouldn't be picked up on a traditional survey. And for those of our listeners that aren't familiar with what we're talking about here, I just want to make it really clear for you. So you can fly the drone and get a lot of data, as Joey suggested, in the air, but you got to tie it back to the ground. So when we say ground control points, it might be like Joey's team going out in the field, setting some points that they can shoot and get locations of those points and then getting them from the air as well to tie the two together, right? Is that how I'm explaining it, Joey, right? That's correct. We send ground crews out and they'll do static GPS work or what's called real-time kinematic or uh, rapid static, depending on the quality of the control. And so they'll do that before the flight crew comes out. And then the drone actually operates off of a base and rover survey system. And half the expense of the drone is the accelerometer, the AMU in there, that tells the drone where it's going, what the pitch and yaw angle are, and roll angle. And so it can take in precise measurements and counteract those based on the time it takes for a, a laser beam to touch the ground and get back to the sensor. And so it's pretty amazing all the technology that goes into that. But control, having good accurate control is the basis for a good quality engineering project because that'll be perpetuated through the life of the project. The contractor will come in, they'll use that. And if there's control bust, then that leads to quantity difficulties, that leads to drainage problems, that, that could lead to redesigning whole sewer networks. It's very imperative, especially for young engineers, to understand how the controls gather. We have like a checklist that we provide our clients that they know 
100% of the control has been checked, vetted. We like to do what's called a static session where we can download precise orbital information from the satellite constellation. It gives us peace of mind. That gives our clients peace of mind that there's not going to be a major bust. Well, in the old days, if you grew up in surveying, sometimes you've got to take that three-foot boot out of the rod and you've topoed half the site. Nobody ever knew it until you went out and started grading on it. Just to clarify that again, too, for our listeners, or to add to that, I should say, I want to explain this because it's not as easy as saying, hey, you got drones now, you just fly all over the place, you get all your data, you go to work. There are monuments all over the country, USGS monuments. This whole country is tied into a system. And so you have to respect the system that you're in and you have to tie into that system with your data or else, like Joey's saying, you could have a bust and your elevations won't match to the actual elevations out there and then you're going to have a problem. So I say that, Joey, because I think sometimes people think with all this technology, hey, you fly around, you get a bunch of data and you go to work. And there's a lot that goes into it in terms of tying it into the right system and making sure that when you're doing your engineering, those elevations need to be accurate, basically. It's understanding your tools. And so whether we're doing engineering work and we understand the limitations of our perimeters back in the old days, and the accuracies of the end areas, or we're surveyors and we understand the, the accuracies of our levels. It's now understanding how to use your tools. And we've gone through in the last 10 years, the thought of, well, we need to hire drone pilots and and they can fly from, well, we need to hire good seasoned surveyors. And the drone is just another tool. It's a GPS. It's a total station. We like to have about 10,000 hours as our mastery level. And so, like you said, it's not just somebody taking a, you know, a $2,000 drone. They get it at Best Buy and going out and flying a piece of property and going here the contours. There's years of uh, experience that go into how we generate those. And we've always taken the position that you have to have a good field engineer, a good field surveyor that understands surveying, and then he can use the technology to apply to his arsenal of tools. All right. I want to make sure we cover these three tools here before we let Joey go. So we talked about the drones. Joey, earlier you mentioned the visual design construction or the BDC. What is that? Is that a software? How do you get data for that? Take us through what that is exactly. VDC is a term. It's kind of like uh, building information modeling. And it's uh, been, it's been around for the vertical side for buildings for quite a while. And it just started taking hold. We started doing this for the department back uh, in 2010. And it's really starting to go mainstream more in the commercial side than it is in the transportation side. But basically, it's the idea that we got a site that's designed by an engineering company. We have storm sewer, sanitary sewer, water lines, uh, electrical lines, or electrical duct banks, anything else that can go underground. And before we start laying these lines, we create a basically a machine model of the existing or the proposed ground. And then we start laying in our catch base and our storm sewer pipe going to those catch basins. And like you mentioned earlier, if I got five storm sewer pipes coming in the catch basin, they better be at five different depths or I've got a problem. And so making sure we get all those modeled up in three dimensions and there's different levels of detail. And we try to make the most generic level of detail in which you've got a square or a rectangle box, nothing that you can take and go to the manufacturer and manufacture that box from. But this is just basically for the contractor before they start to work to start looking at things. Can we lay this pipe in this sequence or do we have something that's deeper that's going to, when we excavate, cause another utility that's already been laid to be excavated out? Or do we have to do shoring as opposed to -to one-to-one safety slope? It's really expensive to come in and drive sheet pile to lay a 30-foot storm sewer as it is to lay back the slopes on a one-to-one and lay that same run of pipe. And so DDC is the process of where we model up everything that's on the project that's proposed, try to get as much existing information where they tie in as possible. 
we not only model up the sanitary storm, all those utilities, but we model up the excavation trenches. And then through the process on some of the commercial sites we're doing, we do daily as-builds. So we know exactly where those pipes are. So we can do dig permits later in the construction of the project. So if we've got an electrical duct bank laid and buried, we've got good as-builds. And so now the waterline guy wants to come in, we can go back out and, and stake with a great deal of certainty where that electrical duct bank is so they don't accidentally dig into it. And so that's the general idea behind VDC, called it Visual Design Construction. And uh, it's starting to take root more. Uh, there's some software out there now called Open Roads for the transportation market. It's a MicroStation Bentley product. And um, they're going to 4D design, basically, which is your 3D design plus scheduling tied to those different elements. And so it's exciting for engineers in the future to see all this coming. We're going to eventually be sitting in a room with Oculus glasses and a big monitor, and we'll be able to walk ourselves through the entire design project before we, uh, we build it. So it's going to be fascinating. I'm excited about what's to come. All right. And the last thing I want you to just touch on again here is I know you mentioned LIDAR as well. For our listeners out there not too familiar with LIDAR, could you explain to them what that is? Yeah, LIDAR is an acronym for Light Imaging Detection and Ranging. And, and basically, it's just a laser. It's a laser pulse that the scanner, scanners have been around for a long time. And the biggest consumer of scanners right now are driverless vehicles. They use uh, the Velodyne scanners to kind of map their existing world and keep cars within the, the parameters that they set. So some early adapters have been able to take those rude scanners or crude scanners and adapt them for the surveying market, but the beams are very are wide. So basically the LIDAR, it measures the time it takes for a beam to travel from the uh, sensor to the ground and back to the sensor at the speed of light. So it's fascinating, you know, speed of light so fast, this thing's rotating 2,500 revolutions and it's getting Oh, somewhere around 100 million points uh, per setup if it's a ground station or we dumb it down in the air and it, uh, a couple hundred thousand because the data sets are so big. We're, every time we do a flight, it's, it can be five, six, seven gigabytes of data that becomes unmanageable. And so we decimate the point clouds. But basically the laser scanners just, they emit a, a beam of light and whatever objects that they hit, they bounce off of and come back. And so it's amazing when we scan trees in the, in the winter, you can see every branch of the tree. And you could almost, if you had the time, you could model up an exact replica of that tree. And so they're great for us. Low head, low wire elevations, bridges, towers, things that are far off that we can't access. We can get data back on it, drop that into our design, give our engineers more robust data than they're normally used to getting from just a 2D graphical survey. Everything we give them is a 3D element. And so um, when they want to go into VDC, they've already got the known environment mapped in 3D. And so it's just an all integrated way of doing design work. The LIDAR is usually something that's like loaded, like it's in a truck and you drive around. How do you actually get the data with LIDAR? There's several forms. There's what we call terrestrial, which is like an old total station that people survey with. And it, you move it from point to point, set it up over a control point. There's mobile mapping, which are LIDAR units. And they're usually dual units with uh, also cameras in there to capture photos. They can map at the speed of 40, 50 miles an hour. And then there's airborne LIDAR or UAS LIDAR which is attached to a drone and it they have sensors on those and accelerometers and IMUs and things that help it correct up for minor errors and, and flight path. We can get it from the air, we can get it uh, from a vehicle traveling at 50 miles an hour, or we can get it from a total station. And it really depends on the application. If I'm mapping um, just a corridor of a road, you know, I want to get the, you know, the bridges and from guardrail to guardrail, and I want to do hundreds of miles, I'll, I'll do a mobile LIDAR unit. You know, I can travel hundreds of miles in a day's time and, and get a lot of data. If I'm doing a building, 
and we're doing a, a retrofit and we've got steel concrete interface. We'll use a, a terrestrial LIDAR that fits on top of the tripod. We'll move it around the building and register the point clouds together based on control monuments in the building. Or if I'm doing a 350-acre site, we'll put it on a drone and fly the site in a day's time and tie it to the control points that are on the ground. So it depends on the application, but it allows us to gather the real world much quicker. Now, let me ask you a question. I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but every so often I see like the Google Maps car driving around with a camera or machine on the top of the car, taking in data, I guess, for their aerials. Is that LiDAR? Is that? You know, I don't know if they're using LiDAR now. They're typically photogrammetry. Typically what they're catching is a street view. So when you go from the perspective of Mars back down to the ground level, you can see the actual camera position that they've taken. But what you're also seeing, too, when you zoom in on some Google Earth images and they get the buildings that pop out, they use the photogrammetric portions of photogrammetry to get 3D elevations out of the pictures. All right. So let me just kind of sum up uh, Joey and I's conversation here around surveying. We talked a lot about how surveying and civil engineering really do go hand in hand. And surveying provides you with the data that you need as civil engineers to go and create, you know, hopefully the most practical designs. And Joey talked about visual design construction or VDC, which is an approach of using kind of complex 3D models to check for conflicts concerning utilities, road drains, et cetera. And some of the methods like drones and LIDAR are some of these methods for collecting data to create these 3D models. Is that about accurate, Joey? That is correct. All right. So we hope you found this part of our conversation helpful. I'm going to pause for a minute. We're going to come back with Joey in a second and ask him a couple of last career-related questions to wrap this one up. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. We are back with Joey Wilson, President and CEO at Wilson and Associates PC. We talked a lot about surveying and some different methods and tools for surveying these days. Uh, we're going to end up here. We're going to put Joey on our civil engineering hot seat here and just ask him a couple of career-related questions. All right, Joey, first question here. Do you have any specific rituals you practice every day or maybe like a morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently on a daily basis that has contributed to your success? Get up early, get my exercise in, and get to the office early. We usually uh, start and try to get out and uh, make full use of the day. And so uh, I've always been an early riser, always been uh, early to get to the office. And so that gives me um, a lot more clarity early in the morning. Next question here, is there a book that you might recommend? I don't know, like, you know, a leadership book or a book that you've read in your career that's really jumped out that helped you that you might recommend to others? Uh, there are a few, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, uh, the book Millionaire Next Door. Being an entrepreneur and a business owner, you've got to realize that we're gambling every day with what we do. It's a scientific gamble, but at the end of the day, we've got to submit proposals, we've got to submit bids, and we've got to contend with the unknowns. Having that confidence in your ability to do that and having faith in your capabilities to go out there and find new work and bring it home and ultimately you know, take care of your people and provide enough work for them. Those two books, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Millionaire Next Door, were some of the early adopters of my entrepreneurial spirits. And then as we've grown as a business, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And then the book Traction, we're basically taking our company through a structure change. The book Traction and the entrepreneur operating system has been very life-changing for our organization. I mean, all those books, I love them all. And uh, Traction too, we use the EOS system here at EMI and it is a life changer. So good luck with that. That's great. Yes, without a doubt. 
Joey, thinking back on maybe some of your managers of the past as you went through your career, you don't have to name any names, but want to just understand in your opinion, what have you found has made makes for a great manager in the world of engineering? Well, it took me a while to figure out the difference between a boss and a leader. It's really servant leadership, and it boils down to, I'll get off this tangent without being a sermon, but basically, I've lived through three, four really bad recessions. 2010 was the worst, and um, it was very unique in that my walk of faith really got me through that. I couldn't buy a job at that time. I couldn't take you two sacks of cash and get the work. The stress of running the business and everybody's lives that depended or their work careers that depended on us was insurmountable. And that's when I just had to put it in God's hands. We dedicated our business to him. And so our mission statement is simply, you know, as a service company, we're here to serve. Um, God, our creator, each other, our clients, and our community. It's a very specific order. And so looking back on mentors and leaders, there were a lot of people that were influential in my life at that time. And they really drilled into me, care for our people. Don't maximize your profit at their expense. Have their best interest in mind. Give them the capability to lead and not micromanage. And support and love and care for them as much as you can. And that's been a real success factor for us. We've got a very strong leadership team. Our culture is what we've really been working on in the last 10 years. We've got a strong culture, but we hire more people and new people. And so we have small group cultural meetings in which we meet with smaller divisions of the company to make sure that we're all, they understand who we are, where we're going, what we're doing. Sometimes we are service, we jump into our own detriment, but we're all always here to help our clients, our staff and our our community. Joe, I got one final question for you. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a young civil engineer or you know, maybe like a recent grad and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with him or her and you could share some career advice, what would it be? Be willing to do anything and everything that you're asked to do. Have an eagerness to learn, an eagerness to go into the field. Expand your capabilities. Always ask for something else to do within your peers, within your direct reports. Knowledge is power, and so the more that uh, you gain, but not only just in your um, engineering profession, but also human relations principles. As engineers, uh, we can get zoned in on solving problems, but we can get very disconnected between just basic human relations principles. Make time for life in the margins. Have some time to talk in front of the cooler. Have some time at the end of the day to decompress with your staff, with your family, your friends, and just build in margin to your life. Joey Wilson, President and CEO at Wilson and Associates PC. Joey, I want to thank you for spending some time with us here on the Civil Engineering Podcast and sharing some of your wisdom that you've picked up over the years. We really do appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As I mentioned in the episode, I did start out in the world of surveying. It was really something that I believe transformed my civil engineering career, quite frankly. As I mentioned in my conversation with Joey, I wouldn't have known some of those practical design strategies. I wouldn't have been able to detect things on plans if I hadn't been out there seeing things in the surveying portion of the project. So please, again, get out there if you can, or if you're a senior engineer, get your people out there onto sites, have them do some surveying, have them do some data collection. It's only going to help them, their teams, and the firms overall. Remember, you can find the show notes for this episode and every episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. For this episode, look for episode number 197. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And again, if you're looking for people leadership, project management, or seller-doer training for your professionals, check us out at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org 
or give us a call at 800-920-4007. We have our general programs that we're constantly running and you can enroll your staff. We can do company-only versions of our programs, so it's only your company on these calls. Or we could do custom training programs where we could take our curriculum and modify it for your tools, your software, your strategies, your concepts, and you can build a flagship program that you can lean on for years for recruiting, development, and retention. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.